Blog Talk Radio. Islands, a thing like that, and it come there on a live one more again from Centelna Island, right here, where we station with the Gullah Geechee Nation. This year, the We Show Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. This year, the Queen Quet Head from the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation, and so glad it for be on a hostess one more again for this year's station. We're so glad to honor the tune in while we the key upliftment to the living legacy and to pay ancestral homage, especially the evening when we go crack we teeth, but we land and we legacy as we go to Geechee. So this year evening, I want to dedicate this year program to all of them who we take time off for honoring person last Monday. That's why we did on the air. We will honor all of we ancestors there. We're going to fight with Big Troop and the Gwinon. And we're going to do this year because he knows he ain't going to fight for his freedom because he ain't been born. None of we, none of your children, none of your children, 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 children. Forever. Being born, did you think like a daddy like they're going to do? And have my daughter like running back or none of that kind of thing there. So we won't pay homage for them this year evening on the air. They're going to pay last Monday. We rather was for also their special homage Harry Tubman who would lead that Cumbie River Red 150 years ago, back on June. So I know 100 children who are tuning in to Gullah Geechee TV. See, so we dedicated the program last Monday to she, who we call Mother Moses. And we want to dedicate this program this evening to Charlotte Fortin, God bless her dad, who been the first black teacher who will become young, young from not there with the missionary them called the Gideonite, who been the London children. Read and write and arithmetic and thing like that to the family school. But who will learn the people more? But what I want auction, they mean when it comes to land. So we won't take this your time out for all of these young people. The Susan King Taylor, them, God bless you, there. And all of them willing to fight for we. Who the one had we for Haddish your land and for carry on we legacy for be free. Then we take a moment of silence here. Ah, shit. So glad it is your evening for had this your time for crack me teeth with hundred children. Plenty been a going on since on the last year we put in the station and thing like that. Some hundred children been done day upon Centel Island. We're so glad they wanna come here. We celebrate with we we heritage their celebration and thing like that. At this year place now called Penn Center. We'll be back at Yona, the Penn School. First school we'll be there upon this year land for the freedmen. 
them and what they crack it, they call me and sister them. We have the slavery, been a going over a big shoot with us, Stasi. And this year, four months of the Rock Commission, because it's been 151 years ago when this year was started. And see, when the school been a did it, all these other rest of people were hunted a year, but called missionary thing. When they climbed down this year, we to what they call Pot Royal. Pot Royal ain't been just a dry tongue where they now. It's been the Pot Royal, the island Pot Royal, when they cover all the share area, we're taking in Centelna Island and all the other Lily Island and things like that. So if one of been a kind down your last time, for the heritage day, you had to come into this share area called Port Royal region. You understand? Then you come through the island of Port Royal. You come through Ladies Island, forget the Centelna Island. And so all of these, you back at Yona, who will get you? And get you like hundred children going to do now, in kind thing. Even such a thing back at Yona. They will come here upon board. And just like we said, the water to bring with you, the water going to take we back. And sometimes, going back, the sun kofa. Go back and fetch it. The other one, if honey ain't know where honey to day from, honey ain't going to know where honey to go. So this year evening, we got to have a going back so honey children can understand where we the day to day and how we can go forward. So I can crack my teeth this other rest of the week because I want honey to forget everything, yeah? So to ensure that you understand all that I'm saying tonight, I'm going to speak to all of my listeners around the world in this way. And I truly pray that Gullah Geechee's are listening because this is a very critical time for us. Just as we have come out of our Heritage Days celebration and we came out of Gullah Geechee month, you know full well that every day is a day of celebrating our cultural legacy and holding on to land for me, and especially for the sponsors of this broadcast, the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. The coalition will be 17 years old on the 21st of next month. We're almost exactly one month away from the anniversary of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. Our mission from the beginning has been to keep land, to help Gullah Geechee's retain their land ownership, and to also help with the reacclimation, the re- reclamation of land, all right, the reacquiring of it by Gullah Geechee's throughout the Gullah Geechee Nation, which is the Sea Islands from Jacksonville, North Carolina to Jacksonville, Florida, and then what is called the Low Country and northeastern Florida, which extends 30 to 35 miles inland to the St. John's River. This is the same area that when we start to talk about when the Civil War began, our Southerners often still call it the War of Northern Aggression, 151 years ago. This was a time of upheaval for those who had been enslaving our ancestors on this land that many people today that are Gullah Geechee still live on in family compounds and oftentimes live on what is called heirs' property. And I've done several broadcasts before. You can go back in our archives and type in and look up heirs' property. You can type in Queen Quet and heirs' property on Google, and several of our episodes will come up or type in Queen Quet, Gullah Geechee Land Ownership or Land, and you'll find a number of different broadcasts that I've done over the years and even this year on Gullah Geechee Land Ownership and Land Retention. And the reason that I am now going to do this broadcast Today is because a few, let's say a couple of months back in September, I did a broadcast on the reassessments that were going on. And this is one of the featured shows that you will find here on our site for Blog Talk. And also if you go to Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio on iTunes, you can download any of these archived shows. Well, when I did that show, the focal point was getting people to really under and overstand that Sapelo Island, Georgia, is not the only place where taxes and land taxes were drastically increased and were going to be drastically increased, and they were not the only place where the land values had been reassessed. In the case of Buford County, South Carolina, due to a number of issues that have caused foreclosures in the multimillion-dollar area of the county, which is Hilton Head Island, a major resort island that many people have heard of around the world, the Buford County Planning Department and Buford County Government and County Council have decided that they wanted to, as they put it, share the tax burden. So they reassess all of the property values across the county as they do every five years by law. They do a reassessment. When they do this reassessment, your property value can go up or down. The interesting thing about it is that doesn't mean your taxes go down. 
So even if they decrease your property value, they don't necessarily decrease the taxes that they're charging. And someone this past week ended up pasting something on the Gullah Geechee Nation Facebook wall saying how we need to support the Nation of Islam's land ownership. And I said, well, yes, you should support all the land ownership in the Gullah Geechee Nation since the Nation of Islam is one organization that owns land in the Gullah Geechee Nation, but individual families own land in the Gullah Geechee Nation that needs to be supported. And I said, so we, are, we wouldn't be a nation if we didn't own land. We own tens of thousands of acres of land, but these are often owned, as I mentioned earlier, as heirs' property. Now, what heirs' property is, it's actually land that is considered to be where all members of a family own the land as what's called in law tenants in common. That means that each one of the family members has undivided property rights. So now if the one family member dies, then the ownership passes down to a living heir. Now, normally this should be probated by the state, but most Gullah Geechis never probate their land because there's also probate fees attached based on the value of all the assets that you're probating. So if you don't already have cash money in your pocket and you already don't trust the court system that has often been the ones who have forced partition sales and families have been displaced due to these forced partition sales, and we're going to talk more about that too, then you're not going to rush down to a court and tell them to divide the baby here, okay? So one of our traditions is you don't go to an unjust law expecting justice. So that is why when we start talking about Gullah Geechee land and family legacy, it is a critical factor that we recall how we got this land and then recall what it takes to maintain ownership of the land. So for all of you who came down and celebrated our Heritage Day celebration with us at Penn Center this year, I definitely thank you. I commend you on behalf of the entire committee. I thank each and everyone that came by the Gullah Geechee Nation booth and not only purchased something but gave money to our Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy Fund or say keep the change and put that into the work that you all are doing because I want you to continue what you're doing. Every word that was said, every prayer that was said, every smile, every embrace, every photo that was taken was greatly appreciated. And those who made financial contributions, you showed us that you truly under and overstand the value of land and what that means to our culture. As I always say, Gullah Geechee culture is inextricably tied to the land. So, yes, we can go somewhere else and culturally will be Gullah Geechee people. But the culture cannot be sustained if all the people are dispersed to various lands around the world and are no longer there to work their land, farm their land, harvest from it, and harvest from the very waterways that our ancestors did so. So it's critical that we continue to support the events and the institutions that are also helping people to under and overstand their land rights and their human rights in the Gullah Geechee Nation. And that are celebrations that bring the family back together. And when you can get the family together and your classmates and these class reunions and these big gatherings, it would behoove you to educate everyone on why you keep owning land. I have family members of my own who do not understand that land is an asset. It's called real estate because it is one thing that is real, all right? And that is something that God is not creating anymore of right now that we know of. Someone could say, well, oh, yeah, they had that island get created because of that storm a couple months ago, but they also said ain't nobody going to be living on there, okay? They don't think it's going to sustain people going and building and farming and all that on it. They're still even looking at the awe of it. But meanwhile, what we do see as we see flooding and we see tornadoes and we see all of these things connected to what people are now calling climate change and sea level rise. And so for as long as we have these islands within our care, we need to work them together as family. And we need to pay the taxes together as family because the way that our family members even got this land back in 1862 at major land auctions was the same way people's families are losing them today, and that's at auctions. The auctions took place in October. This is why when I did the broadcast in September, I told people do not sleep on it, do not ignore 
that letter that came to you about reassessment that said this is not a tax bill. That's how they showed up in Buford County, South Carolina. It said that and never told you how much your taxes was going to be, but we repeatedly tweeted, we repeatedly posted on our Gullah Geechee Nation Facebook fan page to all our Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition members and supporters. We repeatedly sent you the tax calculator for our county, for counties in Georgia, so you could actually know or anticipate whether your taxes had gone up or down. All right? And that would be for the tax bill that's going to be due in January. Well, now you should have already gotten that tax bill in the mail. So now many of you may have been shocked, like with a parcel of land, $900, approximately $900, 870-something round to 900 $900 on top of what the taxes had already been. That's in one year that bill has jumped that high. Other bills that went down only went down by maybe $50. Possibly I've heard a few that went down by 100 but the ones that went up went up by 65 75 85% of what the bill previously had been in many cases, and sometimes 100%. In other counties, as we're hearing in Georgia, some of these taxes, because they had them capped for various reasons and then decided to release the cap, they now are justifying raising people's taxes two, three, four hundred percent in one year's time. And you have until January 15th to pay that without penalty. If you don't pay it by January 15th, then penalties and additional fees and interest get levied on top of that. So if you didn't have the money when the bill came in November and you don't have it by January 15th, tell me how you get the extra to pay on top of that. So, again, when we ask people to contribute to the Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy Fund and have been doing the Gullah Geechee Gold Souls Tour and Awareness Campaign ever since last year this time, is not for naught. We knew what to anticipate. We knew what was coming because although we are all commemorating 150 years of land ownership and 151 years of land ownership and many Gullah Geechee families and celebrating places that exist here like Penn School that started 151 years old, 151 years ago and commemorating 50 years since, in, you know, desegregation and integration, when that period of integration came, that also opened the floodgate of people wanting to live in the areas where people of African descent in North America had been living since chattel enslavement and Reconstruction, and then opened up a floodgate of people wanting to get land that before they said was poor land or mosquito-ridden land and now wanting to turn it into resort areas. So then in the 70s, we started with this influx of these multi-million dollar gated areas, golf resorts, and so on, that, as I mentioned, the Beaufort County have now caused this so-called even spread of taxes. Now, I want to show you a juxtaposition. I know people who own land in Mississippi own twice the amount to three times the amount of land that, let's say, on St. Helena Island, for instance, four acres of land, they're going to give you an example of a four-acre parcel that the land tax is $2,000, was $2,000, it's almost 3000 now, it was $2,000. Well, then, in Mississippi, I know someone who owns 10 acres of land. Their taxes were about $160-something, dollars, versus 2000 So when we start talking about assessments, value. This is all based on the location of the land, how it's valued, and especially who wants the land. So we know that Gullah Geechis have to begin to recognize the true asset that their ancestors left them. And look at the blessing that God had, that people that were considered chattel, okay, you end up being able to leave, to leave an inheritance for not just your children, but your children's children. Now think of the blessing of that during a time when actually on documents 
people were leaving wills that left human beings to someone along with acreage of land, along with cotton, along with rice, along with indigo, along with boots, along with cows. Human beings were listed along with this, oh, the title to the land, because the title to the human being went with it too. So now those human beings go from being listed as an item to being those who can leave an inheritance of land for their own children. I think that's the living embodiment of when Proverbs 13:22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. All right? But guess what else that verse says? It says, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. All right? So here it is. We have a righteous time at hand where Gullah Geechis need to take full advantage of being able to use the knowledge, the wisdom, and the understanding that we've acquired to truly understand the value of land and the history of how it was obtained here and why we need to hold on to it as long as we can to transfer this inheritance to our children's children's children as our ancestors who had themselves been in bondage did for us, okay? So let me just tell you that during the U.S. Civil War, there was actually a confiscation act in 1861, all right, the President Abraham Lincoln of the United States at the time, President of the United States at that time, signed this act in order to permit the property of those that he felt were disloyal to the Union. And as most of y'all know, the areas that's now the Gullah Geechee Nation, these four states in South Carolina started it all, seceded from the Union, all right, that's the basis of the U.S. Civil War. Gation Act allowed the government to seize the property they left. So that meant all property, as I just listed a while ago. So silverware, house, people, you know, cows, cattle, whatever. Now, because the government wasn't in the business of, quote, unquote, slave auctioning, they never took to selling the human beings, okay? So a lot of the human beings then could just go on their merry way and fend for themselves and figure it out. And those became the people that got mustered later into service that became the 1st South Carolina Volunteer Regiment, the 33rd South Carolina. There were many other troops that were here and why I named Harriet Tubman, Susie King Taylor, and these troops and others of our ancestors who fought during the U.S. Civil War at the beginning of the show. All right? Now, the Direct Tax Act also came now, that came in June of 1862 and allowed the transformation of property holdings to the succeeded states would have to pay federal taxes that had been levied on each state in 1861. So, see, when the Confiscation Act happened and these folks were not around, the enslavers were not around because they went north and they went west trying to get out other than those who came back and then fought with the gray side, the gray uniforms, the secesh, as people called them back then, the Confederates, as we call them today, the Confederates then were largely the ones whose land and properties had been seized. Then taxes were levied against them, okay, that they needed to pay because they did not pay them. Then these properties were then auctioned because they were forfeited to the government as the owner failed to pay. And so then there was, in, by the end of 1862, there were direct tax commissioners in both South Carolina and Florida, all right? So the Sea Islands then were able to be auctioned in 1862 because of this confiscation in 1861, non-payment of taxes in 1862 in the summer, and then by that fall winter, here were these auctions that many of our ancestors went to and now were able to purchase the very lands that many of them had been enslaved on, okay? Now, I'm going to read you a quote from one of the books that was written about that time. And it said, as federal armies advanced into the South, they captured large amounts of private property, much of it abandoned by fleeing owners. The armies really could not do much with this property as it had little direct military use. But since a lot of it was cotton, that had already been sold or seized by the Confederate government and that had value on the open market, something had to be done. So Congress passed the Captured and Abandoned Property Act on the 3rd of March in 1863. So you see how there's just one act being passed after another, all related to land. 
But all of this leads up to how that land then got transferred from the enslaver to the previously enslaved to who was now being called contraband, which was our ancestors. And our ancestors, of course, wanted to have land because then having land proved they were not three-fifths of human being. They were whole human beings that could now have property of their own and on which they could raise their own crops, build their own homes, and then raise their families and keep their families together without the threat of mass of them coming back in to sell off their children. All right? So this is why, again, land is so critical. When we start talking about the family legacy and the issues that are going on in, quote, unquote, the black community at large around the world, not just in the United States, a lot of it has to do with the demotion of the value of the family and family units and people working together. So as a result of that, and part a part of that, part of that demotion comes because people have been disenfranchised. And when people are financially disenfranchised, people take the desperate acts. And as a result, families get split up because people get killed. Uh, people commit crimes. They go to prison. They accuse the crimes they didn't commit. They go to prison. There's all kinds of things that are in the history of people of African descent from the survival mode that they were forced into due to disenfranchisement, starting with the crime against humanity, which is chattel enslavement, the transatlantic slave trade, and the brain drain that left out of the continent of Mother Africa, as well as what has continued to be perpetuated through transatlantic slave trade, the years of enslavement, the years of Jim Crow era, the years of segregation and discrimination, because not all the segregation was bad. During the period of segregation where there was ownership of land and ownership of businesses and people had doctors and nurses and people in their own community as healers and true leaders, they did well in their own communities financially. And even those who decided to go north to cities, many of them who went and did live-in work, eventually ended up buying houses themselves, operated boarding houses, had places that family members and people who they were raised up with could come to them in the city, live there. They all work together. They share in the wealth building, and the person can move out and buy their own brownstone and so on. That's why you have entire neighborhoods in places like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and New York City, where their entire Gullah Geechee villages in these urban environments because people still migrated together and settled entire areas. There is an entire town not far outside of Chicago, Illinois, that it was a group of people that were from South Carolina that ended up going up there because these folks wanted maids and they wanted live-ins and they wanted people that they knew would do the job professionally, do it well, and that were really mannerable folks for that matter too. And they started bringing them up there almost by the busload. And once people worked and did that for a while, they wanted their own places and their own families, and they bought houses all in the same area and ended up developing their own place. So now this thing of wanting to have a house, wanting to have land, is a good thing. If that is what your mind is on, continue to keep your mind on that and continue to work toward that goal. It is a good thing. If you know how to harvest your own crops, if you know how to fish, if you know how to make cast nets, make boats, these are good things. These are assets as well to you, and they will benefit you in the long run, the same way our ancestors benefited from working this land. And so tonight I was able to locate something that I had not read in the past that I thought, was a critical element to truly helping you under and overstand this legacy about Gullah Geechee land ownership, land retention, land continuation, and passing down an inheritance. I want to actually share with you tonight words that are from our Gullah Geechee Al-Kabulan archive, which is the only archive in the world totally dedicated to Gullah Geechee history, heritage, and culture, and it is part of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. And we are so pleased, again, for all of you who became coalition members during the Heritage Day celebration, which, by the way, all the events at Heritage Day were successful due to all of your support. And so 
here it is that we have many different documents in the archive, and this is one of them, because in 1863, which you all see this year is almost over, so we are heading toward 50, 150 years uh, since this was read, there was actually a South Carolina Freedmen Commission, Inquiry Commission, that took place. I know many of you all have heard that I was part of the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Corridor Commission and really helped to get the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Act passed in the United States. Well, it's interesting to me when I look back over time and see how many commissions had been formed by the U.S. government over the years that directly relate to land and to Gullah Geechee people. Well, this piece is actually from the National Archives of the U.S. that we are able to obtain a report, which is a testimony of Harry McMillan. Now, Harry McMillan wasn't born in Beaufort County, South Carolina. He was actually born in in Georgia, but then he came to Beaufort when he was a little boy while he was still enslaved. And so this is... This is a spiritual moment for me to be able to read to you his words. And so I'm going to share it as it's written and and listen to the context of the time as he gives this testimony in June of 1863. Harry McMillan testified. I'm about 40 years of age. I was born in Georgia. Came to Beaufort when I was a small boy. I was owned by General Eustace and lived upon his plantation. Well, tell me about the task colored men had to do. In old success times, each man had to do two tasks, which is 42 rows or half an acre in, in, in breaking land. And in uh, listing, each person had to do a task and a half. So in planting, every hand had to do an acre a day. And hoeing, first hoeing, where you hold flat was two tasks, then your second horn, which is done across the beds, was also two tasks. And after going through two operations, you had a third, which was two and a half tasks, when you had to go over to the plants, leaving two in each hill. Well, how many hours a day did you work? Under old success times, every morning until night, beginning daylight till five or six at night. But you stopped for your meals. You had to get your vittles standing at your hole. You cooked it overnight yourself, or else the old woman signed to cook for all the hands, and she, in your turn, brought the food to the field. You never sat down and took your food together as families? No, sir. Never had time for that. The women had the same day's work as the men, but suppose the woman was in the family way. Was her task less? No, sir. Most of the time, she had to do the same work. Sometimes the wife of the planter learned the condition of the woman and said to her husband, you must cut down her day's work. Sometimes the women had their children in the field. Had the woman any doctor? No, sir. There was a nurse in the plantation sometimes, an old midwife who tended them. If if a woman was taken in labor and field, some of her sisters would help her home and then come back to the field. Did they nurse their children? Yes, sir. Best masters gave three months for that purpose. If a man did not do his task, what happened? He was stripped off, tied up, and whipped. What other punishments were used? The punishments was whipping, putting you in the stocks and making you wear irons and chains at work. They had a collar to put around your neck and two horns like cow horns so you couldn't lie down on your back or your belly. They also kept you running away from the horn, which which, which you catch in the bushes. Sometimes they dug a hole like a well with a door on the top. This is called a dungeon. Keep you in it two, three weeks or a month, and sometimes till you died in there. This hole was just big enough to receive the body, the hands down by the side. Seen this thing in Georgia, but never here. I know how they whip in the prisons. They stretch out your arms and legs as far as they can. They ring bolts on the floor and lash you till they open up the skin and the blood trickles down. What is your idea respecting the treatment of your people by the government? Uh, are they not being taken care of? They they have got to be taken care of in this way to be protected because they had not sense enough yet to take care of themselves. I I don't see the government to take too much expense on it for themselves. I I want them to let the colored people feel the way to support themselves. And speaking of each other, you say Negro, 
We call each other colored people, black people, but not Negro because we use that word in success time. Do the colored people in their intercourse and dealings with each other tell the truth? It's not always they have it. They learn to talk false to keep them lashes off their backs, but now they're getting knowledge and doing better. If a colored man gives his promise, will he keep it? Yes, sir. They know they ought to keep it. Will they steal from each other? Not so much. They've done it, but they look up this change as bring about a different state of things. What induces a colored man to take a wife? Well, since it's a fair, they're more married than ever I knew before because they have a little more chance to mind their families and make more money to support their families. In success times, there's not much marrying for love. A man saw a young woman, and if he liked her, he'd get her a pass from his master to go where she was. If his owner did not choose to give him the pass, he would pick out another woman and make him live with her, whether he loved her or not. Colored women have a good deal of sexual passion. Have they not? They, they go with the men. They all go with the men. Yes, sir, there's a great deal of that. I, I do not think you'll find five out of 100 that did not. They begin at 15 and 16. Do they know any better? They regard it now as a disgrace, and the laws of the church are against it. They sometimes have children before marriage? Yes, sir, but they are thought less of amongst their companions unless they get a husband before their child is born, and they cannot shame girls up until they get a husband. Some join a church when they're 10 years old, and some not till they're 30. The girls join mostly after the men, but they're more apt to fall than the men. Whenever a person joins the church, no matter how low he been, he always respects him. When the girls join the church after a while, they sometimes become weary and tired and some temptation comes and they fall. Sometimes the masters, where the mistress was a pious woman, punished the girls for having children before they married. As a general thing, the masters didn't care. They liked the colored women to have children. Suppose the son of a master wanted to have intercourse with a colored woman. Was he at liberty? No, not at liberty, because he was considered a stand on the family. But the young man did it. There was a good deal of it. They often kept one girl steady at sometimes two and three different places. Men who had wives did it too sometimes. If they get it on their own place, it was easier, but they would go wherever they could get it. Do the colored people like to go to church? Yes, sir, they're fond of that. They sing songs, put up prayers, and sing their religious songs. Did your masters ever see you learning to read? No, sir. You cannot let your masters see you read, but now the colored people are fond of sending their children to school. What's the reason for that? Because the children, after years, will be able to tell us ignorant ones how to do for ourselves. How many children have you known one woman to have? I know one woman who had 20 children. I, I too know a woman named Jenny, wife of Dagos, a slave of John Pope, who had 23 churn. In general, the woman had a great many churn. They often had a child once a year. Are the children usually obedient? There are some good and some bad, but in general, children love their parents and are obedient. They like parents most, but they stand up for all their relations. Suppose a boy is struck by another boy. What does he do? If he's injured, bad relations come in and get that boy who injured him the same hurt. I'd tell that boy to strike back and defend himself. How about bearing pain? Do you teach your children to bear pain? Yes, sir. When a colored man was whipped, did he cry out? He would holler out and beg, but not cry for pain, but for vexation. Did he try to conceal their whippings and think it was a disgrace? Yes, sir. They tried to conceal it. Great men had marked all over and have a piece of, piece of skin it was born with. Don't have a piece of it. Have they any idea of the government of the United States? Yes, sir. They know if the government was not kind to them, they, they, could, they could not keep their liberty. When the war began, a great man else believed the government would not conquer our masters because our masters fooled us, told us that we were going to fight the Yankees who intended to catch us and sell us to Cuba and pay expenses for the war. I didn't believe it, but a great many did. Colored people like the government to do for them here. They would like to have land, four or five acres to a family. How many here could manage and take care of land? A good many. I could take care of 15 acres and not ask them to do any more for me. Suppose the government were to give you land. How long would you take to pay for five years? Pay for it five years? I'd not take five years. In two years, I'd pay every cent. People here would rather have the land than work for wages. 
I think it'd be better to sort out the men and give land to those who had the faculty of supporting their families. Every able-bodied man can take care of himself if he has the mind to. But there are bad men who have not the heart or the will to do it. Do you think that the colored people would like better to have this land divided amongst themselves and live here alone, or must they have white people to govern them? They are obliged to have white people that administer the law, but the black people have a good deal of sense. But they don't know law. If the government keeps the masters away altogether, it would not do to leave the colored man here alone. Some white man must be here, not his masters, but uh, we'll take a law by their word. And if we don't, then, you know, then we'd be punished. If you take all the white men away, then some wouldn't be nothing. But probably the children that are coming up, no white man will be needed. They'll learn to read and to write, and some will learn to lawyer, some will learn the doctor, some will learn the minister, and reading books and newspapers. They can understand the law, but the old generation can't understand it. It makes no difference how sensible they are. They are blind, and it wants white men for the present to direct them. After five years, they'll take care of themselves. This generation can't do it. Do you think the colored men are willing to fight for their liberty? Yes, sir. If the government will protect them and give them a chance, but they must have white officers. Suppose the government protected the colored men against their masters and sell the land half to the colored, half to the white. What would be the effect? Would would not the colored man sell his land to the white man? Oh, I think he might. Some of them are lazy, and they don't understand how to take care of themselves against the white man. It's necessary to have someone here to do justice to both parties. Would the colored men like to go back to Africa? No, sir. There's no disposition to go back. They'd rather stay where they are. Are there physicians enough here to take care of the sick? I don't think there's doctors enough. The islands are very large. If you send for the doctor, he'll come. Probably if you send for him one day, you'll see him two or three days afterwards. They do not get out of bed when they call. Now, it's interesting to end on asking him about the physicians and whether there's enough of them to take care of the sick. The sickest part of this for me is the fact that he said there were lazy people amongst them that he felt like if they did divide the land equally amongst the whites and the blacks, the lazy ones, he was very clear on that, would be the ones that would be likely to sell their land to the white ones, that the colored lazy ones would sell their land to the white ones. Now, note, he also said the ones who were ignorant couldn't understand the law, so they would need white people to lead them. But you give them a few years with all of the colored children, the Negro children, the black children, however you want to say it, these folks would then be able to understand their own law. They would be their own lawyers. They would be their own ministers. They would be their own doctors and so forth because they were learning to read and write and understand. Wisdom is the principal thing. So get wisdom. But in all thy getting, get understanding. Now, note that this man very clearly, after already discussing all the horrors that he had been through with the beatings, with the beatings where he said there were people who didn't even have their own flesh that they had been born with even left on their bodies. After discussing all this brutality, he's asked, do these people have any idea of the government of the United States? And he said, yes, sir. Now, notice he then followed up with talking about how the Confederates, their enslavers, tried to trick them to say you should fight against the Yankees because the Yankees want to sell you all to Cuba. And he said he didn't believe it, but there were those who did. That's the issue we still got with land. You got those who believe they're going to do what they want to do versus those of us who understand when you know your rights, you don't let someone else take it from you, that you still have to fight for your rights. So this man stood up and fought for his rights because he didn't just believe the very same people who had been enslaving him. So now when they ask him the question, they ask him the same question that was asked of the black preachers in Savannah about what is it 
that the government could do for the black people who were here, all right, the colored people that were here. He asked, what would the colored people like the government to do for them here? The answer, they would like to have land. He didn't stop there. He was specific. He said four or five acres to a family. He asked how many could manage and take care of the land, and he said a good many because I can take care of 15 acres and would not ask them to do any more for me. Now, we, this is, remember, I'm going to remind you, this is a transcript of Harry McMillan, a South Carolina freedman, that was taken down by the American Freedmen's Inquiry Commission in June of 1863. 1863. And we are now in what year? 20, what? 150 years ago. This man is asked the question, what could the government do for the colored people here? In other words, here in Beaufort County being the Sea Islands. Beaufort County, South Carolina is mainly Sea Islands. He answered the same way that the black preachers in Savannah, Georgia, all right, answered, what do your people want? They said, land and to be left alone, okay? Land and to be left alone. So here it is that our ancestors' focal point wasn't on crying over the whipping, wasn't crying over the beatings or any of that, but instead they wanted land. And so... When we start to talk about today, land ownership and the Gullah Geechee legacy, we cannot ignore these testimonies. We cannot ignore that we had folks that had vision. And where there is no vision, the people perish. We had ancestors that had vision so we wouldn't perish, that they wouldn't perish. They wanted land to work for themselves and wanted to be left alone on their land to govern it, educate their children, and let their children take over and lead it. That was what Special Field Order Number 15 was all about, where all the abandoned rice fields from Charleston southward to Ferndina would be issued to the Negro in 40-acre parts. And also stated, no white should dwell herein. That is why you have schools like Penn School. You had schools like what was set up and established in Mitchellville. That is why you had people setting up with Mr. Campbell along, Tunis Campbell, setting up their own townships and setting up their own governments and making sure that education was part of that process. So as we continue these commemorations of the U.S. Civil War and we continue these commemorations and celebrations of 150 years since this and 150 years since that and 50 years since the desegregation of schools, let us not stop educating ourselves today and our families on the value of this asset called land and this asset called education. Knowledge is not just power. You can have knowledge and information, do nothing with it, and you have no power. When you start to take action, you have power. That is when you grow into having wisdom. Again, wisdom is the principal thing. So get wisdom. But in all thy getting, get understanding. So tonight I need you to understand that even as we go fast forward, almost two years after, the account that I just read to you. There was a meeting on January the 12th, 1865, in the headquarters of Major General Sherman, Tecumseh Sherman, that I spoke of, at the Special Field Order Number 15, who is what, what, what is the basis of 40 acres and a mule. He had a meeting with several different, what they call black religious leaders, black preachers, wherein they talked once again to these leaders trying to find out, trying to get an assessment at this point in time where now they were heading into Reconstruction to say, well, what is it that is the sentiment of the colored people? They wanted to know 
what did the colored people see? What did they want? What were they thinking about? You see, and one of the main focal points that these men had was on land. Because here it is. I'm going to read you something from a transcript from that night. Because, again, we are 150 years since the Emancipation Proclamation, which, again, dealt with this area where secession had happened. didn't deal with everywhere. That's why the amendment later had to come for the Constitution to abolish slavery, and slavery is not completely abolished. Y'all need to read the whole thing on that amendment. But listen to this from the transcript from that night. It said, first, state what your understanding is in regard to the acts of Congress and President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation touching the conditions of the colored people in the rebel states. Answer, so far as I understand President Lincoln's proclamation to the rebellious states, it is that if they would lay down their arms and submit to the laws of the United States before the 1st of January, 1863, all should be well. But if they did not, then all the slaves in the rebel states should be free henceforth and forever. That is what I understood. Second, state what you understand by slavery and the freedom that was given by the President's proclamation. Answer, slavery is receiving by irresistible power the work of another man and not by his consent. The freedom, as I understand it, promised by the proclamation is taking us from under the yoke of bondage and placing us where we would reap the fruits of our own labor, take care of ourselves, and assist the government in maintaining our freedom. Third, state in what manner you think you can take care of yourselves and how you can best assist the government in maintaining your freedom. Answer, the way we can best take care of ourselves is to have land and turn it and till it by our own labor, that is, by the labor of the women and children and the old men, and we can soon maintain ourselves and have something to spare. And to assist the government, the young men could enlist in the ending service of the government and serve in such a manner as they wanted, because the rebels told us they piled us up and made batteries of them and sold them to Cuba, but we don't believe that. We want to be placed on land until we are able to buy it and make it our own. Fourth, and listen clearly, y'all, the fourth, state in what manner you would rather live, whether scattered amongst the whites or in colonies by yourselves. Answer, I would prefer to live by ourselves, for there's prejudice against us in the South that will take years to get over, but I do not know that I can answer for my brethren. All right? So here we go again. Question asked and answered. What do you want? Land. How do you want it? Give it to us. Leave us be. Let us live amongst ourselves. All right? This is repeated over and over throughout numerous transcripts of that time at different points in time from different people in different locations that held different vocations. So how is it today that we being Gullah Geechis in different places of different vocations and different locations cannot again stand together and say we want land and we want this land to remain amongst us and we want to remain together on it? That is why we have the Gullah Geechee Nation. That is why we form to ensure that we protect the human rights and the land rights of our people. That is why the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition exists as a national organization with international supporters that want to help Gullah Geechee stay on their land. For everyone who wants to be an active part of this process to help people stay on their land and to help with the Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy Fund, please email G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at A-O-L dot com, G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O, at AOL.com. If you are on Twitter, we are at Gullah Geechee. If you are on Facebook, it is Gullah Geechee Nation on Facebook. We have posted and we will repost. If you go to the Gullah Geechee Nation Facebook fan page, you will see a gold box that says Give. If you want to make an online contribution to give to the Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy Fund, 
that helps to not only educate people on their land rights, but helps to pay land taxes here in the Gullah Geechee Nation and helps with the legal funds for the various legal battles that we have had to have since the 17 years that the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition has existed. These funds have not come through grants. These funds have come through people who, like those from these transcripts, believe that we had a right to have land and that we have a right to stay on it. We have a right to till it of our own volition with our own strength gives us. And I would be remiss and totally out of order, which is the opposite of how I was raised. My elders told me you do things decently and in order. I'd be out of order to not continue to respect the legacy of land ownership that my ancestors fought, died, bled for, placenta, blood, sweat, and tears literally in this land. When they talked about the confiscation of lands and confiscating it not being of much value to the soldiers, but yet it was full of cotton, that cotton that they harvested 150 years ago while that war was going on ended up in Liverpool, England, and various other parts of the world. That cotton was being brokered throughout the Civil War to continue to finance the war. Our folks were busy financing this land that they were purchasing in 1862. For money, people had scraped, scrimped, saved, hid, and everything else, hoping to buy their freedom at some point, hoping to have something if they ran away to freedom to get a new start. And here it was that God blessed them to have a new start right on land called the Sea Island Sand that we call the Gullah Geechee Nation today. So when we talk about Gullah Geechee land and family legacy, the heirs of the folks who stood at those auctions in 1862 are those of us living today that live on land in common with your family members, even if you've now split it off into individual deeds. You should not feel that you simply have the right to determine what happens to everybody else in that property and end up suing the family or ending up in court because people don't want to pay their fair share of the taxes with one another or put it in a family LLC so that you can protect it for the future generations and not have one individual force a partition sale in court. Remember I said I was going to touch on that. When one family member ends up, remember I mentioned it's in common, each have rights in the property? Well, even if there's 25 cousins, one cousin decides they want to sell their interest to somebody who's not in your family. That person now comes and buys that interest for little or nothing, gets in amongst the family and now tries to force everybody to sell all the land to that individual. Family members ain't trying to hear that. That person can take that whole family to court, and the judge will say, if y'all can't settle this amongst yourselves, I'll settle it. And the way judges throughout the Gullah Geechee Nation have settled it is by then declaring that all the property must be sold, and everybody needs to move off. And then whatever it's sold for will get divided amongst the rest of the heirs that are still there, including the individual who started the lawsuit. So the forced partition sales are one way that Gullah Geechee's have been displaced off the land and are still being displaced because family just doesn't sit down and get understand together about leaving that inheritance to the next generation. The other is land auctions because people fail to pay the taxes or can't afford to, and then don't tell folks, and then it's too late. If you had land sold this year at an auction, you still have a year before it is totally out of your hands. You could still get it back. And that's a whole nother broadcast for a whole nother night. But in the meantime, make sure to email us to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com. That is the email address of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. And any way that we can help you get understanding of heirs' property, your family land, and the ways in which you can do things to try to keep your land and protect your land rights, let us know. And we would do what we can to get to you or get you to one of our workshops to educate you. And Gullah Geechee TV is going to be airing a broadcast for our anniversary on these issues as well. And Hunter Chiller, no, this your radio show. Quiet, crack your teeth more about this year. Because land, the truly, we legacy. And Hunter Chiller, no, who this year to be? This year the Queen Quet, head upon the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation, 
I so glad you're on the chill and tune in with me this evening. One more again from We Show, Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. And I so glad that you're chillin' to stay here with me this evening. Because you know upon this your land, me ain't trying for gold. Because this year, that we on, we've been here, and we in the grind no way. Please give to the Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy Fund so that we can continue to keep our culture going on, going on, going on, and honoring we ancestors, Pandisha, Sea Island soil. God bless your children. God bless the family. God bless the land. Thank you, thank you. Peace.